This is Friday, September 16th. Have you ever wondered, like me, whether it's possible to establish a long-term, multi-generational legacy of faith? That is, we could do something in our generation that ripples down through the generations in faithfulness. Well, apparently it is. Some years back, a study was done of two American families. The first was the family of the colonial preacher named Jonathan Edwards. Over the course of a few generations after he died, his line produced one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 pastors. At the same time, another man, that of a man named Max Jukes, came to people's attention when the family histories of 42 different men in the New York prison system were tracked, traced back to him. Yes, they were all his descendants. You see, Jukes lived in New York at about the same time Edwards was living in Massachusetts. The Jukes family legacy was studied by a sociologist in the late 1800s. And Jukes' descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other, other convicts, and 440 people trapped in addiction. Now, I wish I were making this up, but what a stunning contrast. The question that comes to mind is, how can we create a positive legacy? What life patterns can we pass on that will have the greatest influence on the generations that come after ours? Yes, we know that what we do in one generation is no guarantee of faithfulness in the next. But we also know that what we do matters. Here's our text for today. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 to 15. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now we look at Jesus today because what he did brought about a revelation of revolution in the way children were treated. Now while God commanded his people to pass on the faith to their children through education, children were not very significant in the home. They were as good as slaves until they came of age. And then, well, soon they were out of the house. This is why the disciples want to send children away, and Jesus ends up rebuking them. Yes, Jesus turned his attention to children and often used them to speak of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, as the gospel was spread, the embracing of children grew. Actually, in the Roman Empire, there was no sense of childhood at all. Children were often treated as just smaller adults, rather than precious gifts to be nurtured and developed for the future. Now, going back to the Edwards family, this really was the key to how the family succeeded down through the generations. It was through the investment of time and love and faith in their children. 
By the way, the Edwards didn't have an easy life. Jonathan was a pastor who was driven out of his church for preaching the truth about the way the young people were living in his community. They were doing improper things, and he called them out for that, and a vote was taken and he was out of his job. His family had little means and had to live on gifts sent by friends to keep the family afloat until Jonathan could find another job. He and his wife and 11 children at the time imagined the stress of all of this, but he received a calling to minister to Native Americans in a small village. He kept this ministry for eight years until he was called as president of Princeton University. It was a small school then. But sadly, just a few weeks after accepting his new position, he died of smallpox. But they had raised their children in that little Native American village all those eight years. And when Jonathan suddenly passed away, well, his wife died soon after, leaving six orphans under the age of 21. So how through such hardship did such a strong family emerge? There is no other answer They were forged in the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. They developed moral character and strength with parents that nurtured them in the faith. It was not just that Jonathan had become one of the greatest thinkers ever born on on this continent. It was also Sarah, the mother of the children and wife of Jonathan, who put such great effort to teach her children character and faithfulness to God. She really was an extraordinary woman. And without the benefits of schools, she shaped and formed her children in the knowledge of God. In short, it is the effort and prayer and encouragement and training of two parents committed to the Lord. They invested in their children because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I like a quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She said this, The most beautiful people we have met are those We who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. I love that. Great people don't just happen. Beautiful people don't come about on their own. Godly people don't just happen. There's investment. There's love. There's character lived as an example, taught as a way of life that shapes our children for the next generation. Remember, this isn't a guarantee, but we see that it is possible to establish long-term, multi-generational legacy of character and faith. Let's pray. God, our Father, teach us your ways. Help us to walk in your truth that our children might know you and follow you. We pray for the next generation. Show us our part in loving them and showing them your ways. In the name of Jesus, amen.